Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. Here we are. We are still in John 17. And uh, we're planning today to get through just a few verses. And this is what's going to finish John 17, this prayer that Jesus has been praying. We've been looking at this for three weeks, but it's such a, a beautiful prayer, such a deep prayer, so many amazing things that Christ is bringing to our attention as he prays to the Father that we don't want to rush through it. So we've kind of broken it up a little bit more than we have in the past. So in this prayer, just as a, a very brief review, we've seen Jesus passionately pray about his glory and the Father's glory. Those things are clearly on his heart, and he knows that without living for the glory of himself or the Father, we don't get to understand how important Jesus is to our lives, right? And we've seen, as we looked last week, we've seen Jesus begin to pray for his disciples and their lives here on earth, especially once Jesus ascends to heaven. He knows that it's not always going to be easy, but he prays for protection from the Father and that these disciples would continue on doing the work that Jesus has trained them in. And now there's a new layer to Jesus' prayer that we're going to discover today. So I'm going to, I'm going to read verse 20, and, and we'll kind of break things down and, and look at the significance of these things as we go on. Let me, let me pray here for God's word to open to our hearts. Jesus, this is your prayer, and we are your people. Help us just to see what you really have on your heart. And I pray that we would actually be open to these things we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't just see this as interesting or, or cool or whatever, but we actually, we desire for this prayer and what you're saying in it to change us. Lord, when we get together as your people and we set our hearts on you, I never want to come away the same as I was when I first entered in. I always want to be changed. And I pray that that's the desire of every person here today. Help us to be open as you minister to us through your word. Amen. Okay, so verse 20, that's where we're starting here. John 17, verse 20, Jesus is continuing his prayer, and he says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. All right, friends, do you know what's happening here? Jesus is praying for us. That's true. Jesus is praying for us. Oh, I thought there'd be more smiles on people's faces. Okay, well, let me tell you why this is a big deal, okay? So all these things that Jesus has been praying about already, these things that he was praying for his current disciples, all these things that are on his heart for his disciples then, they're on his heart for us now. This is what Jesus cares about. He cares about his disciples then, and he cares about us as his modern-day disciples right now, too. And he includes us in this prayer. All these things that we saw Jesus pray for last week, unity, protection from the evil one, and holiness, his desi he desires all of that for us as well. And in this moment... In the upper room, Jesus doesn't care only for the, the believers that exist in that place or the believers that exist in Jerusalem or in other parts of Israel, but he cares about the believers that are going to exist throughout the centuries. That's you and me. You and me. Jesus is thinking about us right here, right now. I just can't get over this. He cares deeply 
for all Christians that are going to exist through the entire history of the world. Have you ever got a, a text or a phone call or a note from someone saying that they were just thinking of you? When Karen and I were first dating, she had a, a super basic cell phone. It wasn't a smartphone. It was a dumb phone. It was actually just a phone. I don't think you could take pictures with it. I don't, you could text with it, but you had to hit the same button three or four times to get to the letter. And if you missed, you're just going around and around, right? So she had a super basic cell phone. I didn't have anything. We, we, I had a landline, so that's it. So, but I wanted to let her know I was thinking about her during the day, even though we couldn't like spend time together or send a, a text or something like that. So when she was working at the high school in Winkler, I would go through the parking lot and I'd write a note on a receipt or whatever I had in my pocket and I'd leave it under her windshield wiper blade and just hope that it wasn't raining that day. And then she would come out at lunch or after school and she would see this note and she would know that I was thinking about her. And she would do that for me once in a while too. She would write notes and leave them under my uh, truck's windshield wiper. And we would do this for each other and it was so cool because we knew that someone else was thinking about us. It gave us this this kind of like little boost, a romantic boost, I, mean, I know, but still a boost throughout the day where it's like, oh man, yeah, someone is thinking about me. I'm on someone else's mind who I love and they actually think enough to talk about me or to, to take time to think about me, right? So no matter what happens, you always know that someone has been thinking about you. For me, verse 20 is kind of like that. Jesus, even though he could have been focused on himself and the extremely difficult events that he was about to face, which we're going to start looking at next week, this verse shows that he was thinking about us. Isn't that bizarre? Like, it's, it's actually so amazing. Just hours before Jesus is going to be nailed to the cross, you and I were on Jesus' mind as he prays for us. No matter what life throws at you, I think this is worth remembering. Jesus thought about you and he prayed about you during his life. In fact, he is still praying for you today through the Holy Spirit. And we know this because of what Romans 8 verse 26 and 27 says. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. You are forever, forever precious to Jesus, and He is praying for you. Never forget, never underestimate how important, how valuable, how loved you are by God. I think how Jesus prays in verse 20 reminds us of two things that Jesus has always been serious about, both during his life and ministry on earth and now into forever as he reigns in heaven. So let's talk about those two things. The first thing that we can be reminded of is that Jesus is motivated by love towards you and me, not obligation not just responsibility, but actually he's motivated by love to relate to us. Only Jesus, who would have had every excuse to start thinking about himself as he was so near to the hardest part of his life, took the opportunity to think about us. The only comparison I can, I can possibly think of, that it, and no illustration is perfect, but this kind of gives us a bit of an idea, 
would be if like someone was going into major, invasive, life-threatening surgery, and in the last couple of hours leading up to the surgery, they were contacting all their friends saying, hey, how are you doing? I've been thinking about you. How can I pray for you? I want you to know that I care about you and you mean so much to me. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know because I'm there for you. You're in a hospital getting ready for surgery and you're thinking about me? What, who are you? What kind of love are you operating with, right? I think this is, it just gives us a bit of an idea of, of Jesus' radical, world-shaking love for you. And nothing in his life or in your life will ever be able to stop or even pause for just a moment the love that he has for you. So the second thing that we see also from Jesus and what he prays in verse 20 is that he is always concerned about his kingdom growing, expanding, you know, standing firm throughout the ages. The Bible consistently tells us that Jesus' kingdom, his authority, his governance will never end. Jesus prays for every person who will ever believe in him, be a part of his kingdom, right? He doesn't just pray saying, well, Father, I've done everything I can do. Let's just see what happens from here on out. That's not how he prays. Because Jesus understands how things are going to play out. He knows what will happen. He knows that his kingdom will never end because his victory on the cross is forever. Amen to that, right? And he cares about everyone who will join his kingdom as generation after generation hears about him and believes in him. Jesus has an eye on all eternity in this moment as he is praying for us and his disciples. So as we think about these things, I think it's actually okay and actually very good if we stand back and just marvel and be amazed at Jesus' perspective about life and eternity. Most of us, we think about life as, you know, when it's a foot or two in front of our nose. Maybe we think about things a little ways down the road. Even if we're big time planners, we might only think a couple years down the road. But none of us has eternity in mind as well as Jesus does. And in this prayer, he's modeling for us, my kingdom is coming. My kingdom is here. I'm establishing it once and for all through my death and resurrection. No one can stop it. So I'm going to be praying for all the people in my kingdom. All who will ever be a part of what I am building and establishing here in this moment. It's, it kind of actually reminds me of that, ki- that kid's song that we've maybe sung in Sunday school. He's got the whole world in his hands. You remember that one? Anyone sing that one growing up? Okay, you guys maybe went to a Pentecostal church instead of a normal one. I'm not sure. Just kidding, just kidding. We're all Jesus lovers. No, but he's got the whole world in his hands, right? So to me, I think about Jesus in the upper room with his 11 disciples. And these disciples, they're perhaps struggling to grasp everything that is going on, much like we would have, much like we would have been if we were in that situation. But Jesus has God on earth had perfect understanding about what he was praying about. His prayer that we are reading about today spans across millennia, the whole world. He had it in perspective, in his hands, in that moment. And this prayer touches every single second of human history, past, present, and whatever is yet to come. It's humbling and exhilarating to think that we are a part of it. And I think we need to understand those kinds of things because sometimes I think Christians, we, 
we, we think back to like 2,000 years ago and what Jesus was doing on earth. And we're like, okay, yeah, that was really cool. I believe it, but I just don't understand how it really impacts me today, right? And we, and we kind of, we have a bit of a disconnect. But we understand Jesus' heart in that moment. And that he was thinking about you in this moment. As he was praying, it's like, okay, now we understand. This is more of a connection than I ever thought possible. Verse 21. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus prays for us as Christians to be unified, just like the Father and the Son are unified. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the natural and desired result is for us to grow in relationship with each other as believers. This is exactly what Jesus is praying for. Believers should be united to each other because their common faith and love for God. And see, when we make those the most important things, all of a sudden denominational barriers, all that stuff just kind of melts away and we don't see the importance of, well, I'm this, I'm that, or you're the other thing. It's like, no, do you love God? Yeah, so do I. Let's just let's chase after him together. Believers should be united to each other because of their common faith and because of their love for God. The result of our union with each other is that this world will see how much we love each other. And our love will act as proof to the rest of the world that Jesus is the real deal. He has the power to transform us and change us from the inside out. He works in our heart and it affects all parts of our life. This is why Jesus said earlier in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Isn't it crazy? If you actually stand back and think about it, isn't it crazy that we give people reasons to believe in Jesus through how we love each other and live in unity? I think that's just the best design ever because no one ever saw it coming. No one who was trying to, to, to cause a great movement to, to come forward ever said, hey, just really work on loving each other. No, it's always about like going into places and, and doing risky things. And yeah, that's part of our faith. But, but Jesus says, no, love has to be the capital, the capital effort of what we're doing here. God's purpose for us as a church becomes so much more clear when we understand what we're learning right here in this verse. This is a reminder that we don't just need unity for our sake. Love isn't just so that you and I get along, okay? But we actually need loving unity in our church for the sake of every single person who does not go to a church or believe in Jesus in this, in this world. The witness that we have to those who need to begin a relationship with Jesus is directly linked to how unified and cooperative we are as God's people. So the question is, if unity is this important, how do we become unified? Jesus prayed that we will be one just as he and the Father are one. So what makes Jesus and the Father one? Don't get hyper-spiritual trying to answer this question. It's because they both came from heaven. So we can't experience unity unless we both came from heaven? That would be a tough one to, to master, right? Remember, Jesus is human as he's saying this. He's living like one of us here on earth. He's not living in the glories of heaven when he says this. So I think what makes Jesus and the Father one is that they're working towards the same goal. They have the same heart. They have the same mind, the same desires. So is it possible for us to have the same heart 
mind and desires is one another? Anyone? (laughs) Okay, Logan, thank you. It's true, we can. Yes, it is possible for Christians to have the same heart, mind, and desires as each other. Of course it is. If we have the same heart, mind, and desires, we are going to be working towards the same goal. So instead of me coming before you and saying, all right, everyone, here's what I want, agree with me, and then we'll have unity. That would be pretty stupid, right? Because my ideas are really good most of the time, but some of the times they're a real stinker. So I don't want us to be unified to me. But if we all set our focus on Christ and we say what Jesus lived for is what all of us are going to live for because his heart, mind, and desires are always perfect, aren't they? So if we set our hearts on those things together, that's where unity can take place. So what's the goal then? What is the heart, mind, and and desire of Jesus? It's the same goal that Jesus had to help as many people as possible come to the Father and receive forgiveness and eternal life. That's why Jesus came to establish the kingdom and say there's a better way. I'm going to reveal the Father to you. I want you to come to him by believing in me. So belief in Jesus, understanding him, that's the goal that we can be united as. And that's why as a church, we gather together every month to pray at the rally. That's not just about like me saying prayer is important and you guys should be praying with me. That's not it. That's not the heart behind that. But God said that, that prayer as a church is really important. In Acts, the church gathered together to pray. So if that's the way they started... Why have we departed from that, right? Like, if that's why we have the rally, because we believe that when the church gets together to pray, that's when God springs into action. He sees a united heart that the people are praying, and he says, of course, where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. And if you agree about something here on earth, it will be done for you. So we come together to be unified in prayer. That's why we also have a midweek children's ministry. That's why we have a thrift store that's opening this week. That's why we had 30 of us here together yesterday at the Imagine Youth Bible Conference. That's why we're going to Buffalo, New York next summer. The goal in all of these things is to help other people know Jesus, who is the only way to the Father. So we think of ways that we can set our hearts on Jesus. We look to what the Bible says, and he says, set your hearts on me by doing these things. Okay, I'm in Jesus. Because I don't want anything else to be on my heart, mind, or desires besides you. And as we do that together, we're unified. If 15 people do that, they're unified. And the rest of us, we're on the outside looking in. So that's why we all have a responsibility to participate. Because I believe that when we come and we join together in this stuff, our area of North Dakota can be changed. It's actually remarkable how many people have talked to me in the last year or so, and they feel that God is moving in the community of Kandu. Does anyone else feel that? Can anyone else see like evidence of God moving in Kandu, North Dakota, or Roulette, or or Wolford, or wherever you're from, or Sorrels? It's cool. We're all inclusive here. Yeah, I see hands. So here's the thing. If God's moving, if he's taking a step in one direction, why wouldn't we all step with him, right? Like that's, that's so is my heart. It's never about like, hey, we haven't done anything for a while. We need to come up with an idea to do something just to fill our schedule outside of Sunday mornings. I'm not a social convener. I'm, a, I'm not good at it. And B, I do not want to do that. 
But what I do want to do is give us opportunities to focus on Christ in every single way we can so that our love and unity is visible to the community around us. And they say, I want to know Jesus like Christian Fellowship Church knows Jesus. Verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. This verse is a little interesting because it's kind of, if you read it with everything else that's been going on today, it can easily just kind of feel like, yeah, he's just kind of saying the same thing in a different way. And it kind of blends in with everything else that Jesus is praying about. But as I read and reread this verse, a question came to me this, this week. It's, why does, or what does Jesus mean that he has given us glory? Because he says, I have given them glory, or the glory you gave me. There have been several ideas about exactly what this verse means over the years. And there's lots of different commentaries that say lots of different things. Some people think Jesus is praying about our future glory in heaven. Some people think Jesus is praying about, or praying that we would have uh, the power to do miracles, like glorious miracles, that sort of thing. Some people think Jesus is praying about us sharing God's divine nature. And I actually think that that last one, that idea about us sharing God's divine nature, is the one that's on the right track. So let me share what I, I learned as I dug in on this verse. So Jesus lets us know here in John 17, 22, that his glory came from the Father. And for the most part, in chapter 17, glory refers to something that would be similar to worship or adoration, right? It's giving importance. It's giving excellence or worth to God. The definition of glory has always appeared as a verb in those instances. It's an action of giving something to someone else. So it's, it's a verb. But now the meaning of glory is slightly different. Here in verse 22, glory appears as a noun. Here glory means the manifestation of God or God revealed in Jesus. So God manifested or revealed himself to us in the life of his son Jesus. And that's what Jesus' life on earth is all about. Showing people who God is. And we can see that if we look back at John 1.18 where it said, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, that's Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he, that's Jesus again, has revealed God to us. So God the Father is manifested or revealed in the life of Jesus. So because the Father's glory lived in Jesus or was manifested or revealed in him, Jesus helps us understand God most clearly. But now Jesus says that the glory or the manifestation that he received from God, he is giving to us. So as we live our lives here on earth, Jesus is living in us and through us, just like the Father was living in and through Jesus. You and I, as we faithfully and consistently follow Jesus' commands and obey him, we reveal to the rest of the world who Jesus is because we choose to live in obedience to him, just like he lived in obedience to the Father. When that happens, we get to, that people get to see God or Jesus through us. So hold on to that thought for just a second, and let me give you one other thought to add on to it. Jesus has said many things here in John that prove to us that Jesus was fully aware of his responsibility to reveal the Father to the world. 
So he said things like, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. That's from John 5.30. I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true. John 7.28. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. John 8.28. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. John 12.49. So in all these ways... Jesus chose to be obedient to the Father's will, knowing that this is what his purpose was. Now, do we have a similar responsibility, just like what Jesus was doing here? Yeah, we do. This attitude and understanding of Jesus living with the Father in him is what it's meant to look like for us to live with Jesus in us as well. If we are living according to the glory of Jesus in us, I believe that we'll hear ourselves thinking or saying things like, I won't seek my own happiness, but rather the honor of Jesus who's living in me. That might be something that we begin to say as we choose to be obedient to him. Or we might say, I'm not here to make myself famous, but to make Jesus famous wherever I go. My life isn't about obtaining money and power. It's about living for reward in heaven and being submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to look out for myself or to use the time or to use the time God's given me to pursue my interests, but to serve with my church so that we can bring as many people into God's kingdom as possible. Everything that Jesus said is about him denying himself and yielding to the Father. So the model that we've been given to follow is that we would deny ourselves and say, Jesus, whatever you want is what I want to live for. Remember what Jesus says in John 15, 5? Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So those who remain in me and I in them, doesn't this speak about God's or Jesus' glory in us? Jesus remains in us as we are giving him glory, as we're yielding to him, as the Holy Spirit takes hold, right? And when his glory is manifested, when the, the presence of Jesus in our lives is revealed through our connection and obedience to him, that's when we get to produce spiritual fruit, the results that are good for us and honoring to God. We will be unique from this world, just like Jesus was unique in his time. Now, if we combine these two thoughts together, we can say with confidence that revealing Jesus to the world comes not from living according to our wisdom, desires, and ideas, but by, connected, by, by being connected to Jesus, living in us, and yielding to his will for our lives. I love how this verse, even though it's small and maybe unassuming, there's so much depth to it that is good for us to understand. The second half of 1722 said, so they may be one as we are one. As Jesus lived according to the glory of God in his life, his oneness with the Father was affirmed over and over and over again. Jesus went through his life revealing God to people everywhere he went. This proved that he and the Father shared the same heart and mind. They both believed the same things were critically important. As we live for the glory of Jesus in our lives, not only is our oneness with the Father and the Son affirmed, but we also experience oneness and unity with other authentic believers. And that word authentic is important because lots of people say, I believe in Jesus or I believe that God is real. But that doesn't mean that they're following him. It doesn't mean that they're yielded to him. So when we choose to obey 
Jesus, that's when we have unity with other authentic followers who've also said, yeah, I'm living to obey Jesus. This is what I'm so desperate to see increase more and more in myself and in our church. I I see when I look at this church, I see so much good, like so much good that God is doing where God is living in people. He's doing work in their lives. You, You come and some of you have conversations with me and I get to understand like how God is working in you outside of Sunday mornings and you share things like you're overjoyed and I'm, I'm saying, God, this is good. Like this is exactly what we want. I believe that God, as a matter of fact, he is activating people in a powerful way to do his work because I see you being activated to do his work. You see the value in it and you say, yeah, I'm in. I just want this to keep going because I don't want to be a part of a portion of a church where we're all heading in the same direction and some of us are standing still. But I believe that there is a unity that we can experience here where the entire church, everyone who says I'm in is going to feel that and they're going to go for it and they're not going to hesitate. Have you ever seen a movie or a TV show where someone was running to catch a train that had already started pulling out of the train station? I've seen that. You probably have too. I kind of think about our church like that sometimes. We have momentum. We're we're going somewhere. We're not standing still, but there's a direction that God is taking us. And he's the conductor in our train. And he has a destination in mind. So yeah, we're moving there. We're on our way. And even though we're already going, it's not too late for other people to run and climb aboard. Wouldn't you agree? So if you are wondering about becoming more united with your brothers and sisters here at CFC, and most importantly, united with Jesus in heart and mind, come and talk to me because I'd love to understand that first of all. And then if you're serious and you say, I I don't want to be standing still. I don't want to stand still and watch this train pull away. I don't want to stand still and watch this church go somewhere and me get left behind. Let's find a spot. Because there's, there's so many wonderful opportunities where you can latch on to what's happening here and God will take you in the same direction as the rest of us. I think there is something for everyone in God's kingdom to do that is both joyful and meaningful. Verse 23, Jesus continues to pray. He says, I, and I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So first in this verse, Jesus positively states the divine connection between us and himself and God and himself. Therefore, as we've learned many times in John, if we have relationship with Jesus, we have relationship with the Father also. The second part of verse 23 is sort of a rephrasing, in my estimation, of verse 21. Jesus is reaffirming the idea that through us being united in love as believers in Jesus, this is the most powerful testimony to the world about who Jesus is. Verse 24, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Thinking about life in heaven, Jesus longs for all of his believers to be there with him one day. Not just the 11, but remember, he's praying for us. So he longs for you to be with him in heaven. Everyone who has set their heart on him, he says, I can't wait for the day where we get to be roommates forever in God's kingdom. It's honestly hard to even fathom what it will be like to fully understand how glorious, how great, 
how magnificent God is one day when we are with him in heaven. The word glory here is a noun again, just like it was in verse 22. Jesus longs for us to be with him so that we understand his glory with 100% clarity. Here on earth, we get a taste of Jesus' glory as he lives in us and we labor for him. But one day, one day, friends, we will experience it without any limitations, without any boundaries, without any confusion. I believe with all my heart that as we live for God in this life, a majority of our experiences are meant to prepare us and lead us towards life in heaven. It's supposed to be a gradual crescendo or a building up into what life in heaven is supposed to be like. Here's the last two verses of Jesus' prayer. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. I think these two verses have taught me this week a way that I want to pray more often. Jesus closes his prayer by affirming what he knows is true. He says, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And Jesus knows his disciples, his closest friends. He he knows where they stand as well, and he, he speaks that. Jesus also says that he's going to keep living for the purpose that he's been given. He says that when he says, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. And then he finishes by stating the promised result of how he's living, of what's going to come. He says, then, because he's going to continue to reveal himself or the Father to people, then he says, your love for me will be in them, and I will live in them, or I will be in them. This is what Jesus has been working towards his whole life. He has been intimately loved by the Father. He wants other people to know that the Father's love is real for them too. And that's why he never gives up his work of revealing the Father to us by teaching people to believe in him. So what if we actually adopted this way of praying? I kind of was fiddling around with this idea this week. And I think it could do us a lot of good. As we pray... We could tell God what we know is true. Because how many times do we have something that's been spoken to us, but we start to doubt? We start to like, ah, is that really true? Is that that true for me? Or is that only true for the cool Christians? I don't know if I'm one of them. I don't know, right? And we wonder and we doubt and we fear. So maybe we need to pray. Maybe we need to pray the truth that we know so that we can remind ourselves. Maybe we could pray something like, God, you love me and you know me. I believe you, and through Jesus, I have been born again. What if we just prayed something simple like that to remind us that our future, our eternity, our salvation is secure in the the eyes of Jesus, right? And then what if we began to pray for God's purpose to happen in our lives, just like Jesus prayed? Maybe we would pray something like, You have called me to love you, to serve you, and to tell others about you. Help me to be faithful to this purpose in my life. Maybe if that's a regular thing, maybe it becomes our purpose. Maybe we're totally terrified. I can't believe I'm praying this, but here goes. But then it actually becomes a reality because we're asking God to help us to live it out. And then finally, what if we prayed believing in the promised result of this kind of lifestyle? God, thank you for promising that everyone who believes in you will be saved. Thank you for your glory making its home in my life so that others can see you in me. 
I think this is kind of something important. Uh, the more I thought about this, the more I saw the benefit of it. So normally at the end of a message, I close in prayer. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to shake it up. And you're going to get a chance to pray. I'm not going to put anyone on the spot to pray out loud. But even if you pray these things in your own heart, I think that's a great step in the right direction. So I put a few things together here. If you're not, if you kind of like get nervous, it's like, oh, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know the words. I don't know if it sounds good. Like I, my prayers never sound like yours, Pastor Jeff. First of all, your prayers probably shouldn't sound like mine. Okay, they should sound like yours. I don't want you to try to copy me or anyone else, but what I want you to do is just be honest. That's the most important part of prayer, just being honest before God. So we're going to take a little bit of time here, and I want you to pray for the truth. Maybe, Maybe you say, God, you love me, and I believe you. Your word is a light in my life. Maybe those are the things you need to pray. That's a truth, right? Maybe you you've got to pray this purpose, and God... You saved me to save others. Help me be united with this church and your mission for us. Maybe that's the purpose that you need to pray for for yourself. If you can think of something else, that's fine. But I believe that this is a universal purpose that God has for all of us. And then at the end, of course, pray this promise. Thank you for promising to save everyone who believes in you. Thank you for living in me. Thank you that you are coming again to, make, to bring me into your home in heaven. So Karen's going to come up here. We're going to get set for a final song. But I want you to pray. Go ahead. Give it your best shot. you as your church and we just want to say again that this church is not for us it's not about our will or our heart or our desires but everything that we have we yield to you we ask you to come and lead this church in an even more profound way and maybe you've always been leading but we just haven't been listening God speak to our hearts shake off the rust Breathe new life into us. Call us to come aboard this train, this momentum that you're building here in Kandu. We want to be a part of it. We want to we go where your kingdom is going. We want to serve where you're asking us to serve. We want to experience you in everything that we do because you're already living in us. We don't want to settle for anything less. Father, thank you for the prayers of your people that have gone up before you now in these last moments. Thank you for hearing them. I pray that these prayers would continue and that we would always seek to unite our hearts with yours for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.